Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something epic. This is Paratroop Radio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And today we have on another author. She's the author of Embrace Your Empathy, Make Sensitivity Your Strength. Her name is Christy Robinette, and she is an internationally known psychic medium and author of a dozen books, including Embrace Your Empathy. In addition to giving readings and teaching workshops, she uses her intuitive skills to assist with police investigations. Christy lectures across the country and is frequent a frequent media commentator. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Christy Robinette. Christy, welcome to Paratruth Radio. We're so glad to have you on with us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. We are too. We are too. Now, we're discussing your book, Embrace Your Empathy, Make Sensitivity Your Strength. Um, you know, jumping right into uh, this book, the first thing I really noticed is, of course, the contents, uh, which kind of caught me by surprise a little bit, mainly because uh, over the last year or so, whenever somebody talks about being empathic, they always use it as a general term. Uh, it's very broad. Uh, and so even for someone like myself who's been studying this kind of stuff for years, I never really realized that being an empath can be broken down into so many categories. Um, so that was really surprising. What is, well, I guess, first of all, just what made you decide that you had to write this book? I, I think that I, I am a professional psychic medium. So I see, and I'm a life coach and I, my background is in corporate like human resources. So dealing with psychology of people and how they deal with other people. And there's, there's been what I found is like two groups of people, well, maybe three, one group that says I am an empath and I hate this. This is a curse. I want it to go away. And I had another group of people that are like, I am not an empath because empaths are weak. And then I would have another group that's like, there's no way that I'm an empath. I have empathy. Hmm. And so I felt that it was important for, especially society, it came out at the right time, for sure, with so much conflict in the world, but and so many differing opinions. And we seem to be so, you know, moving away from one another, that I wanted this book to be published, so that we could better understand everybody, maybe, hopefully, and know that the generalization of being an empath isn't the one that's crying in the corner, or running to the bathroom, you know, wiping their tears, and that there is differing uh, descriptions, there's differing uh, categories of empaths, mm -hmm. and that 
both men and women are empaths. It's, it's not the ones that are just like you look at somebody and they cry. That is me, by the way. Like I am the one that I, if someone looks at me the wrong way, like I downplay like everything, why they hate me. And they are like, I just had that resting, you know, witch face going on. It had nothing to do with you. <laughs> but, you know, so some people are like that, but that's not all of them. That's not all of the empaths. So I wrote it. So hoping that people would be able to understand their fellow people. Okay. So before we get too deep into this book and, and everything that you pretty much talk about in here, can you just kind of define what an empath is and how that actually uh, differs from empathy? Because I think there's a lot of confusion in that sometimes. Yeah, because I think we all have the ability to have empathy. You know, empathy is someone falls down and you run over to them and you're like, can I help you? What can I do for you? Being an empath, they feel or sense or it's a wider perspective of a feeling or a sensing or a knowing. And we, we hear those same terms with psychic abilities and they kind of do go hand in hand. Um, but it is just feeling more. It's feeling more than maybe the normal person mm -hmm. would feel is, is the, the little bitty context of that. Um, and I think that we all can be an empath, but not everybody wants to be an empath. Just like I think everyone can be psychic, but not everybody wants to be a psychic. Right. I don't think everybody wants to be an empath for sure, because it's a lot to be an empath. <laughs> I agree with you. It is. And that's, again, why I wrote the book, because I wanted to help show that being sensitive is strong and that sensitive isn't a bad word. And, you know, I, I even talk about in the book how there's these alpha empaths and the alpha empaths are the leaders. They're not the ones that are crying. They are the ones that are trying to plow a path and help those that maybe are a little bit more sensitive on that side. And so when people are like, oh, wait a minute, an empath can be an alpha, an empath can be the leader and the strong person and the one that's saying, let's go this way, even though nobody's gone this way before. Absolutely. That's why there's just such a differing context to what that means. That's interesting that you bring that up because that's actually kind of where I'm at in my life right now. Um, I've always been that sensitive person. Um, being upset for no reason, uh, uh, picking up on other people's stuff. Um, as of late, I've been able to handle my emotions a lot better and be able to guide people better. Um, and I, I was reading through the book and you got some, all these different, um, types of empaths. And I feel that I embody quite a few of them like the intuitive empath i read through the questions that you put in there and i'm like yep completely yep. get that <laughs> and then the physical empath i've always been since opening myself up i've always been able to touch a stone or, or a crystal and feel that it's for somebody it. else mm -hmm. yeah um not necessarily for myself but for somebody else um right so in your opinion, can somebody embody all of these things or are, is it most of the time you're in one specific category? 
No, there's no rhyme or reason that, you know, a person can, can be every single one of those categories, but a person can maybe be a couple of them. So it again is, I, I used to refer to it as a curse because like you said, I'd feel everything for no reason. And when you said that, I was like, nope, it's not a no reason. You just didn't know the reason, right? you know, somebody, somebody walks through the grocery store and they, um, they emotionally fart, right? Like they completely, all of their emotions, they're just completely throwing out there. And that might've been five minutes ago. And then you walk past there and you're like, why am I so angry? Or why can I cry? Like what, what is going on right now? And you're like, I must be going crazy. Like there must be something faulty with me. And you didn't know that someone had just gotten into a fight or is, was on the phone with their lawyer because they're getting a divorce or there was some context to what was going on, but you didn't know that. And instead we go, Oh my gosh, there is, there is something wrong with me. I need to go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist or my medical doctor and figure that out. And the good thing is that the mental health profession is starting to recognize and realize that just because you're feeling things and you're overly, overly sensitive, that it's not a mental health situation and they work just like I do with teaching them how to deal with it so that it doesn't bombard you and you can compartmentalize it, you know, better, which it sounds like you're learning to do, which is amazing. Well, now I, and as I was going through this, I mean, there were two that really struck me. One was of course the uh, intuitive empath, very intuitive uh, and becoming more intuitive as time goes on here. Uh, But the other one was the earth empath. And I was just curious about, because I wasn't quite sure what that was. Uh, and of course, some of those questions on there, I answered yes to um, feeling like one with nature when I'm in the woods, a sense of peace uh, under the stars or uh, by the ocean. But, you know, what's interesting about the earth empath is I realized you actually broke it down even further because earth, earth empath is just a broad term for, for what you can be empathically right. uh, speaking. And so, you know, you have like the animal empath and you have, right. uh, you know, the, Um, And so like I naturally gravitated toward this animal one because I'm always connected with animals and even animals I've never met who people tell me like pets, they're, 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 they have a problem with people. They don't like people. He's going to be angry. And they go right to you and they're Right to you, wagging their tail. Yep. On their back. (laughs) And, you know, people are like, how? That doesn't make sense. And like, I don't get it either, but it's a thing. Um, And so I just thought it was really cool. But how long did it take you or how did you realize that there were so many sub-departments of the earth empath uh, as opposed to just the one broad term yeah just a universal one i i like i really wanted to break that down because again the earth empath is often seen as the hippie you Mm. know it's the tree hugger and when i looked at it from a wider perspective i'm like no there's more to that there's the animals there's nature there's the geo part of it. So if you've ever walked into a city or a state or you're just connected to and you just feel at home, some people think it's a past life connection, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. It can just mean that you are vibrationally aligned with that and you empathically feel comfortable there or the other way. You can walk into, like there is a state that I will not mention 
because I don't want anyone from that state to dislike me. But there is a state that as soon as I go into it, I am exhausted. I don't feel well. And I have been all through this particular state and there is no part of that state that I do well in. So that is the, the empath part of the geo where you're like, you're feeling the energy. It could have been because there was a war there or there had been an intense, um, you know, battle of some sort. So we don't always understand or recognize, but yeah, I wanted to break it down just because I didn't want people to think like, oh, well, I'm not a tree hugger. I hate the outside. Sunlight makes me, you know, stressed out. But then there's people that are like, well, I don't like the sunlight, but I love the stars and mm -hmm. I love the stargaze. Or I don't like animals, but I do love to hug a tree or I want to be out in nature. So I wanted to make sure that they understood that it's not a one, it's an all or nothing. It's, you know, there's there's different classifications to that. Sure, sure. And did you find it uh, either on your own or in your research that these, the geo empaths, um, do they tend to feel things that are, that have great amounts of energy due to past experiences, like such as war or something? Or is there some sort of guidance through ley lines? Uh, or can they feel something yeah. like that? Through, through my own research and through my own experiences, I think that there's a combination of that. I think that there's the fault lines, the ley lines, the natural occurrences that had happened over time, along with just past experiences. Mm -hmm. Like people are so drawn to say Sedona, right? Like it just has this amazing energy associated with it. And I, I've never, you guys can email me. I've never heard one person say, I hate Sedona. Like even people who don't believe in the intuitive side, they feel that intensity or Gettysburg, you mm -hmm. know, people who go to Gettysburg will be like, I just, I'm here for the history. But then all of a sudden they're like, why am I so drawn to the paranormal part of it too? And I'm drawn to, you know, the, the stories of it. And so it's it's interesting that even a lot of the wars, the ley lines and the fault lines actually, not coincidentally, happened upon, you know, the similar spaces. Right. So, well, Eric, I'm glad you brought up the the um, nature empath thing because when we first got my dog Sarge, he was a rescue. He came into our house basically made himself at home when he came up to me he laid on his back and let me pet his belly which is a sign of submission in dogs right. and the two uh caretakers just kind of watched for a second and they're like he's never done that before with any of yeah. we've brought him <laughs> around so that's why I kind of feel I I embody a lot of all of these. Um, I have yeah. a direct connection with nature. I, I have a direct connection with the physical em empathy and uh, empathic ability and, and intuitive ability. Um, for those out there that question, like, how do I know I, I'm, I'm, feeling empathic over I'm feeling empathy is there a certain like way to determine that I mean other than 
like you're talking to somebody and you feel em- empathy for them or right. you walk through Walmart and all of a sudden you just feel like drained and and gross is is there something a, a certain trigger you should be looking for for that I I think that it is um you know empathy doesn't happen all the time but being an empath is frequent so especially if you're unguided you know, or you're just allowing yourself to feel everything or experience everything. So that is a reoccurring situation. And you can go back to the past and childhood and have those occurrences or that that history of that into the now. And I think that that's where the difference is. I'm the worst salesperson in the world, but my book also offers like a questionnaire for every empath trait to see if you fit the characteristics of that. And they are very similar. Every trait does have like little idiosyncrasies, like the intuitive. Do you know things? Do you just know things? You know, are there things that like someone can tell you something and you just know that it's a yes or a no? That is an empathy. That is being an empath and just feeling the where the alignment with it or the emotional empath which i think a lot of people struggle with because that's feeling the emotional pain of somebody and interestingly enough in a, in a both a physical and an emotional empath tend to go into careers that are filled with more of that such as healthcare or being a police officer or they they jump right into it and they're like I'm going to either prove that I'm not an empath or I don't have that much empathy. I'm going to harden myself to it or I'm going to destroy myself. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they destroy themselves because they don't understand all of what they're experiencing. And a training handbook for your occupation doesn't give you the the privy of, you know, of, of doing real life with that being an empath. Okay. Right. Um, well, diving a little deeper into the intuitive uh, aspect of the empathy, um, I'm someone who now I, I'm relatively new to being intuitive. It's something that, like, over the last year and a half or so, there have been more and more things happening where I'm like, "Oh, I already knew that," or "I felt that for months," or yeah. you know, something like that. Uh, but even still, uh, it's very difficult uh, for me to discern what is intuition and what is just my mind overthinking or overgeneralizing something, uh, especially based on past experiences. So what advice would you have for someone to kind of help discern those two things or to strengthen your understanding of what is actually intuition and what is maybe just your mind running wild? So you're probably going to hate this. Okay. It's trusting yourself. Okay. You know, it's trusting yourself and it's practice. Mm. And, you know, I always say like back in the day, people would write letters. Remember letters like post office letters or postcards and they would write, don't get on that boat. Don't like I have a really bad feeling about that trip you're about to take. And it was postdated and there was no reason why they had a bad feeling. They just had a bad feeling and they would often share it and it would be date stamped. I always say, do the same thing, you know, write in a journal and say, I'm having a really weird feeling about this. So when your mind is spinning, that is 
I don't know if I'd cl- I'll, I'll call it fear just for lack of, you know, terms. So mm-hmm. you intuitively think that, you know, your best friend is cheating, but you don't want to, you know, talk to your best friend about cheating because, oh my gosh, what if you're wrong? And then your best friend hates you, you know, we'll give that scenario. So then you go, well, maybe he was just talking to another girl. It was probably platonic, did it? but intuitively, you know, that that's not what it is. So intuition is very black and white. It's go right, don't go left. Fear goes, huh, maybe I should do a whole spreadsheet on the pros and cons of all of this. And let me second guess myself. And that is not intuition. So intuition is just knee jerk reaction. I I work with police cases on missing persons cases and um cold cases and and murder cases. And I once years ago, I was working on a case in Illinois and I had another medium that I was talking to and we were talking about the case and she goes, what if you're wrong? And I went, I never like in a non-ego way, like I promised, but I was like, I I never thought I'd be wrong because I was getting the information and I would feel things and talk about the geo part of it. Like I would go to a location and go, this is what had happened at this location. And I would give the information, but she tripped me up. So after Mm -hmm. that, I kept going, oh my gosh, what if I'm wrong? Maybe I'm sending them on a whole, you know, crazy wild goose chase. And it took me about a year to backtrack and get back to the, no, I'm, I'm right. I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And that's not a, that's not a lie. And I might not be able to put all of the key ingredients together immediately. They might not make sense in the now, but they will make sense. I'll give you a, for instance, I was working on a case and I kept seeing a cat and I'm like, it's a white cat. It's a white fuzzy cat. It's connected. She was missing. The girl was missing. And six years later, they went to go arrest the guy and they were greeted by a white cat. <laughs> and they were like, well, we obviously couldn't have gone to every house looking for a fuzzy white cat, right? Like that, that wasn't enough evidence for it, but it was one of those puzzle pieces that fit together. So I think that we always want to analyze it and reanalyze it and make it all fit. And it doesn't always fit. Our empathy right. doesn't fit. Our intuitiveness doesn't always fit in the moment. Right. So going into some of the cases that you've worked on, uh, has has there ever been a case that has affected you empathically to the point that you had um, you had to kind of like take a break? There was that much emotion or, or uh, intuitiveness connected to it that you're like, okay, I need to take a week off because that was just way too much. I, I think most of them, but one in particular was a three-year-old that was taken from her house and she was found um, raped and murdered not too far from there. And the detective actually ended up retiring after this case because wow. it was just a horrific thing for me to witness because I feel it and I sense it and I see it. And I had a really hard time. So they'll show me pictures of like, you know, the cadavers or I'll even go to the morgue or all of those things that doesn't affect me as much as feeling what had happened and the fear that had happened. Um, That, that one really affected me. There was another one that was another murder and they ended up arresting the wrong person. And I said, you don't have the right person. 
person and they said, ah, he's a bad person. So we're going to put him away anyway. And he's still serving a life sentence for a murder that he did not do. And that one made me backtrack, you know, and take some time off too, because I always wanted to believe that the justice system was just, and it was one of those awakenings that I realized not always, not always, not not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really sad. They they pretty much just want to put the stamp on it and consider it closed so they can move on to the next case, uh, which is really messed up. Yeah. And that's Uh, not all, you know, police departments and that's not all, you know, cases at all. This was just a really messed up case. And the guy probably was a bad guy, but the the guy that actually murdered is still walking. And I know who he is. So I still follow him on social media every once in a while. Well, now, so when you are kind of down in the pits after something like this, uh, what does it take for you to kind of climb out of it? Is it just simply R&R or is there some sort of meditation involved? How do you clear that uh, that fog? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of different tools and I utilize a lot of them. I love nature, so I love going. I have two acres and I have woods behind me, so I love going for a walk in the woods. I have a house filled with animals. So I get to hug and love on them. My son's got chickens and my favorite thing to do is to pick the chickens up because they love to fly and then run back to you like toddlers, like do it again, do it again. And like, it makes me laugh. So laughter is such a high vibrational space Mm -hmm. to help shake it off. And just the self-care, like a massage or talking to friends or going out to dinner. I love cooking and baking. And that's a great tool to sort of, logging off of social media, you know, just sort of staying in the now and that moment of now, I think is really important for an empath to unwind. Okay. Okay. Chickens are good though. Chickens are really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's not in so... the book, by the way. But still so being an empath and doing what you do with with the post or I'm sorry the police department um would would you kind of compare it to trusting your your gut instinct like for if if a detective says I'm trusting my gut type of deal same thing yeah absolutely it it is men tend to call it the gut you know i have a gut feeling or i have a gut instinct women tend to say i'm psychic or intuitive <laughs> i i don't know why that's been like the way i guess it just doesn't sound as woo woo that way but it's a little bit more you know masculine of i got that gut instinct um but i also think that some people you know decipher it that way too Because like, I actually, if I feel a no, if I feel like this, don't do this, don't go that way, I actually feel the pit in my stomach. And so it is like, you know, when you try to swallow something and it's stuck. And I think a lot of people actually feel that, but they don't realize what they're feeling. You know, they might be like, I'm not really hungry. All of a sudden I lost my appetite or, you know, I'm just feeling woozy or, I'm an anxiety, you know, draws from the stomach as well. So yeah. So the masculine part of, you know, it's my gut instinct. It's not intuition. <laughs> well, it, but then like, it's coming from our side of things. Like Justin and I, for example, we're both spiritually um, aware, you know, we're, we're very intuitive there as well um, or sensitive, but like when I feel negative energies, uh, whether it's in a certain location or on a person, 
and I don't feel good energies. I just, for some reason, I only feel negative and I always feel it in my chest area. It's like really heavy yeah. thickness in my chest. Whereas yeah. Justin tends to feel these kind of things in his head uh, yeah. as opposed to his chest. And so I don't know if maybe, you know, there's something with the chakra or just the way the spirit within us kind of moves. Uh, so perhaps it's, you know, I don't know if it's a sex thing where in terms of this intuition uh, or the gut feeling, whether women just happen to have more of a focus in the mind when, when they feel it and guys tend to feel it down in the lower chakras. Uh, I mean, that's just. A, yeah. You know. I mean, I, I think too, that we're almost stereotypically trained, mm -hmm. you know, growing up without it realizing that it's an intuitive empath psychic ability you know men tend to be more physically trained you know they'll feel that and even though they'll feel the emotional they dismiss it a lot mm -hmm. you know in lieu of you know having the the that emotional feeling so it's the gut instinct or you know, you feel it in your head and, and there's no right or wrong. Like, I think the biggest thing is knowing that, you know, what right. your yes and your no and your good and your bad. When I was a kid, when I was little, I only felt the bad. I only heard the bad news. I only saw the bad stuff. I only felt the bad entities. That was always and I had to just I don't know if you want to feel the good or not, but I had to actually like realize that there is a balance that has to take place. And I was probably like 10 years old at the time. And I'm like, why can't I feel the good? And it was like something balanced. Like I just okay. like hit a lever and asked my spirit guides and, you know, my loved ones on the other side, if they would give me the balance because it becomes really overwhelming and you can get into a really dark place if you're only feeling the darkness of everything. Right. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I, I get what you're saying and I've been there uh, and like, I just, I, I have depression anyway, like except from depression. Uh, so then having that negative energy constantly uh, or whenever I feel negative energy, it kind of has a greater impact. Um, sure. And, you know, and I'm also high anxiety and things like that. So that all triggers. Um, and I've been getting more into meditation and chakra clearing and sage cleansing and stuff like that to kind of yeah. help uh, bring that balance or clear those, those negative energies. Um, do you, I mean, do you find that when it, when it comes to, when it came to you opening up to the good energies, uh, was it kind of like a, a consistent thing that you did when reaching out to your spirit guides and your ancestors? Or was this kind of like you would reach out to them like a prayer or something else every once in a while until one day manifested? I have a weird story with how I like got into this because I was, and a lot of people were like raised in very religious households. So I was raised in a very parochial household and told that everything I was experiencing and feeling and seeing and sensing that it was of the devil. So mm. I, I wonder if because of my programming is that like, well, I'm of the devil. So I'm seeing everything of the devil. Right. And that was, and then I realized, well, wait a minute, don't I have God or universe or whatever you want to, classify it as isn't he supposed to help me like where is he like am i of the devil am i a demon what's happening so i um, i i think that i just i, I think I, I mean i did utilize prayer i still do you know if i'm working with negative or negativity or negative people i'll use the meditation i meditate meditate all day long um 
I will delve into anxiety and depression if I'm doing too many paranormal investigations or too many police investigations. I have a therapist. I have a doctor. Thankfully, they all don't think that I'm crazy and they all actually understand what I do. And the the mental health side of it, and I talk about it in the book too, that a lot of them call it DHSPs, the highly sensitive people. And so they don't necessarily call it the empath, but that's their their label, which is relatively new in the last like 30 years. It's a relatively newer term. And that's when I think they've recognized that there's holistic tools to help balance that. So I think the more that you balance that into the, you know, cleansing the chakras, doing singing bowls, doing, um, you know, crystals, anything like that, that it just starts to become muscle memory where you get the good and the bad. Cause okay. I want the bad. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that guys don't haunt me, but I, <laughs> I want, I want to walk into like a paranormally active place and know that there's a crappy person and not just be like, Oh, everything's love and light and it's fine. Right. And what you're feeling is, you know, in your mind, like I want, I want to feel that balance as well. I just want to make sure that I'm super protected. And I think that empaths go around thinking that they're weak, therefore they don't need to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. I get that. And it's like, you don't want to be like, if you're going into a paranormal investigation, you know, you don't want to be misled if all you're feeling is the good. You want to be able to feel those negative things too. uh, So you're not giving out wrong information or believing the wrong information, especially for those trickster spirits out there, uh, you know, who want to manifest as something good when in reality they're darker. Uh, And, you know, like the meditation stuff for me has been relatively recent. And, and in the past couple of years, I always thought like the best way to block it out is to just turn off emotion entirely. Uh, yeah. The problem is when you do that, it just kind of backloads until there's yeah. like a breaking point and then it's just worse anyway. Uh, so like, you know, I, I, for me, it's like trying to find the new balance, trying to find a new path to, to, to find that balance and, and learn. Uh, but you know, it, it it's just, it's an interesting, it's, it's just, yeah, and I, think uh, there's a, um, I think there's a misconception with regards to meditation because everybody has been raised with the whole, like b- thinking of like the Buddhist, like sitting there and like, mm-hmm. um, for like 30 minutes to 30 days straight, you know, and it honestly meditation, if you have ADD or ADHD, or you just have a wandering mind or you're new to meditation, you will get frustrated and you will struggle through the whole, um, I've got laundry to do and I've got things to do and this isn't even working and it's all stupid, you know? So there's different ways like walking in nature, you know, counting your breaths. Uh, I like to multitask. I do it in the shower. So I'm conditioning my hair, but I'm also meditating, even listening to podcasts that are interesting, you know, or you are interested in is a good way to meditate, if you will. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, you know, Native American flutes, you know, if, if that drives you crazy, it can be, you know, going and sitting and petting a dog or brushing a horse. The one of the most fun meditations is brushing a horse. Horses always need to be brushed. The farms always want people to come, have people come and brush their horses. And there is like a wax on, like you brush them, like, you know, karate kid, mm-hmm. wax on, wax off. And it honestly is so soothing and meditative. And horses are like one of the most spiritual creatures. Chickens, not so much. They're just fun. 
but horses are super spiritual beings and dogs are too. Cats are just wicked and I've got a bunch of them. So I can that. <laughs> maybe that's why I can't stand cats. <laughs> <laughs> I love my cats. They are just, I have been up since two in the morning because my cats were fighting all night long. So <laughs> they are not, I do not recommend today. No cats do not recommend. <laughs> Well, something that that is is fascinating to me is Eric is going through a lot of the stuff that I went through when I first opened myself up because I've been way more open than Eric has. I, I should say going into the past, I opened myself up sooner than Eric has. Um, and Eric will remember when we were doing an investigation at a uh, lake. It was called Indigo Lake. And I don't know what was there. They they in the description and research it said you know there's a wraith that lives there. But when I when I was telling this thing you know I know you're here. I want you to tell me you know show me you're here. It it grabbed me in the chest. It I felt it in my chest. Um, yeah. But I, as I went along, there was that balance of I feel it in my third eye and my my crown chakra. If it's something. Uh, that's just trying to communicate with me compared to something that's not so nice and it's trying to harm me. Um, and then right. uh, something else that I, I actually just started reading a book, um, Ancient Teachings for Beginners by James DeLong. And that's the book that kind of got me started on this path. And he talks about um, there. there's two separate... Um, sounds to awaken the the uh pituitary gland and and the pineal gland um and how i started was the buddhist mantra omani padme hum um and interestingly enough i had learned that mantra from a computer game from when i was a teenager and to find out it was actually a real thing, I'm like, oh my gosh! A thing. <laughs> I love it. That's just you're like, wait a minute! I was being programmed, and I didn't even know it that that was a good thing. But the the Buddhists and and the Hindus are are amazingly adept to opening yourself to the other world. Um, all the other religions are as well. But a lot of the other religions kind of teach you to close you off from it. I was going to say, but are they? Are they? I think that that's a, <laughs> a no. No. I, I have clients who are Buddhist. I, I have one that's a Buddhist monk. And I have to say, I hate calling them holy because they don't like being called holy. But there is such a high vibrational energy to them that you don't understand until you're in their presence. I, I actually studied Aikido for years. So okay. I'm Belton and Aikido and we talk about key and key is being in that balanced space and key is breathing with your diaphragm. And it's very meditative as well. And my sensei, and I sound like I'm in the karate kid with like brushing horses and stuff. So this, this, <laughs> this took a weird turn. So I apologize, but he was, there was such a, he was like a drill sergeant. He had been in the military, but he was Buddhist and he had studied Japanese arts and he was just very worldly. And it, when you're around your people or people that you learn from, it is the most amazing thing. 
But I think that a lot of people, especially empaths, baby empaths, if you will, they think that they're weak and sensitive and then they fix the broken. They think they're supposed to be working with the broken and then they lose themselves because these narcissists or gaslighters or, you know, negative energies um, start stealing their light from them. And they think that again, that they're flawed and they're faulty. And mm -hmm. that's, uh, you know, going back to the question of why did you write this book? That is another reason why I wrote it because I saw so many people getting into really terrible relationships, not even just romantic and intimate, but also work relationships and letting people walk all over them and thinking that that was an okay thing for them to do. And, um, that if you had to be empathic or if you had to have empathy, then you had to be quiet and you had to take the abuse. And that is not true. So not true. That's the one thing I really liked um, reading through your book. And I saw the, the part about trauma bonds. Um, and yeah. it it's very true um, to myself. And I, I even feel for Eric as well. Sorry, Eric, I'm speaking for you for the moment. It's okay. um, <laughs> both Eric and I uh, tend to gravitate towards people that are, for lack of the better term, damaged. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that negatively. I'm saying that they've had trauma and we, we gravitate yeah. towards those people a lot of times. Um, I was just talking to my wife, Shelly, because a lot of people uh, gravitate towards us that are very toxic or, or both her and I both very toxic and not good for our well-being. And eventually those people weed themselves out of our lives. Um, right. Kind of going back to the question about, you know, how can you feel that you're an empath? Is there a way to stop that trauma bond and, and start trying to get away from that if you're an empath? I think there's always going to be a piece of your light that feels like it needs to heal, you know? So I don't necessarily think that it gets completely turned off, but it definitely gets, uh, there's more of an awakening of how much you give of your light and to how many people you give okay. your light to. And, you know, even going into the whole paranormal, you know, aspect of things, we trauma bond with these spirits too. So if we're in a negative okay. space, we're going to bond with those negative energies. And even if we're not investigating, even if we're in a house that's active, you know, we're going to do that same thing. So it's really important to cleanse yourself, you know, as often as you can in any scenario, even if it's not in a paranormal situation, because if you, and cleanse is individualized. Right. So whatever feels comfortable for you from meditation to saging to, um, you know, self-care to whatever that entails. But it's important so that you keep your light bright, but you also protect your light. I often say it's like the bug light. You become the bug light and all the bugs find you and you don't want that. You know, right. so you can dim your light. Your light's still there, but you can dim it so that you're not trauma bonding or you are picking up all the damaged and broken people along the way thinking that that's your job because that's not your job. Okay. Right. Well, and I mean, I don't know. This might sound kind of weird, but like 
there was like in the past there, there were about three months in which you're back in 2008 where i experienced very negative energy uh i caught demonic uh, and it was just three months long and night terrors black masses in my house things touching me and growling and stuff like that um and of course it was scary and eventually uh with the, the help uh, of god and turning myself over surrendering surrendering myself over to him uh, it kind of dis- disappeared um the thing is that which is what's weird is i find myself uh on occasion sometimes late at night where all that i guess trauma that i went through i sometimes miss and i almost mm-hmm. wish it was back like oh mm-hmm. it's nothing's exciting right now where's the darkness right um yeah and it becomes a it becomes an addiction it's an addiction and i I guess at least based on what you were saying here is the best way to deal with um those toxic relationships is to realize and accept the fact that they're going to enter your life um and by doing that it gives you the ability to or at least allows you to realize okay it's something that's going to happen i know it i'll recognize it and then and I can practice kind of... healthy boundaries. Yeah. Right. The boundaries are super important. You know, whether it is an energy that is from an ethereal plane or it is someone, you know, that's working at Target that's trying to take advantage of you or whatever, you know. Right. So, yeah, e- exactly. And and I, I think it's our own self-esteem, don't you? Mm-hmm. You know, that goes, well, maybe I just need that drama. You know, everything's right. to the the shoe is going to drop. So why don't I force some drama to happen, some <laughs> darkness or negativity. And so it's almost like a control thing that happens mm-hmm. and making sure that you know that it's okay for things to be okay and balanced and steady and that you're worth, you know, things not being dark and negative. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why you're not, maybe that's why you're not getting the balance too, though. Right. Maybe because you're like, I like the excitement. I don't want to talk to no nice ghost. That'd be boring. <laughs> That's something I need to work on for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> the nice ghosts are fun too. They got great stories. So they're they're a lot of fun as well. Well, I mean I mean, yeah. Being in, in a certain place, especially doing an investigation, it not necessarily good per se, because you should be kind of neutral when you're doing an investigation, but so you can pick up both. Um, exactly. Well, Christy, it has been fun talking to you, but it is about that time where we usually let our guests go. So I want to give the mic to you so you can tell everybody where they can find the book and you, the mic's all yours. Oh, geez. Thank you. Um, Thanks for having me on. First off, it was great. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. It was great. Um, Thanks for putting your light out into the universe. You're doing a great job. Um, My book is available. It's called Embrace Your Empathy, Make Sensitivity Your Strength. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, even Walmart, any place books are sold, Llewellyn. Um, And I have like a dozen books out there. So if you've never heard from me, check them out. I've got some fun books, including one on pets in the afterlife. And my website is christyrobinette.com, K-R-I-S-T-Y-R-O-B-I-N-E-T-T.com. And I'm on all social media fronts. So you can just Google, even if you spell it wrong, you'll find me. So (laughs) thank you so much. All right, Christy Robinette, thank you for being on Paratruth Radio. 
All right, folks, that was Christy Robinette, author of Embrace Your Empathy, Make Sensitive Sensitivity Your Strength. Uh, we're going to go to Eric's Random Fact of the Day, a quick commercial, and we will be right back with Truth Radio. Now, Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Did you know that cats once delivered mail in Belgium? According to bestlifeonline.com, in the 1870s, the city of Liege, Belgium, attempted to employ 37 felines as mail carriers, according to the BBC. Messages were tucked into waterproof bags that the little kitties would carry around their necks. However, while one cat apparently made it to its destination in under five hours, the other felines took up to a day to complete their journeys. Due to the fact that the cats weren't particularly reliable and definitely weren't speedy, the service didn't last long. This was Eric's random fact of the day. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on, it wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. Welcome back to Paratooth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. We just got off the line with Christy Robinette. And, you know, we, we've talked about empathy and being empathic quite a bit on the show, um, especially as of late. And, you know, I, we, I know we've talked to people about it, uh, people who are who believe they're empathic but maybe haven't done the full depth of research um, mm-hmm. that should be done for someone who does have these empathic abilities or feels that they might be in some of the things that we talked about though, was there anything specific to you that like kind of stood out as either new or something that was like a reminder as something you need to focus more on yourself or. Um, I think the biggest thing reading through the book and you had mentioned it prior to us recording is she goes in depth and we mentioned it on the show too. She goes in depth in the type, the different types of being empathic. Um, most people don't even realize that there, there's these multiple things to different parts of, of being sensitive where, whether it's being an empath, being a psychic medium, just being a intuitive sensitive um, and the definition for each is constantly changing just a little bit. Um, I do like in the book that she, and she even did on the show where she describes what the difference between having empathy and being an empath is. Mm Mm-hmm. What about you? Was there anything new or different that you haven't heard before? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think there's quite a bit uh, for myself, and and I think it's more so. I think I, like, obviously, we, we we've talked about this in the past, but I think 
despite me listening and reacting to to uh, past discussions, I feel like there are moments where I guess my ears are almost turned off, you know, or my understanding was purposely turned off because it didn't really not that I didn't care, but I didn't think I recognized I needed to hear it and understand it. Um, and as of late, as I'm trying to strengthen not only uh, my intuition, but also just the psychic psychic energy, uh, I think I'm naturally starting to become a little more aware of what I need to be listening to and paying attention to in order to better myself, both, uh, both empathetically, psychically, but it, most importantly, spiritually. Um, mm-hmm. as I try to find my, my grounding, uh, you know, and I've been kind of, not that I've been drifting, but I feel like there are, I feel like there's doors opening up that I've been closed off to in the past, uh, for one reason or another. And I don't exactly fully understand why they're opening now, but I am noticing things, uh, as of late. And so I think a lot of what she said tonight was just not necessarily new, but it was a reiteration of things that maybe I didn't process in the past. Well, I can tell you why they're opening up. Your understanding is changing. Well, sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. And I think that's a big part of it. And I don't, I guess the thing is like, is my understanding changing because the doors are opening up or the doors opening up because my understanding is changing. You know, and that's the the big question that kind of ha- I kind of have to figure out. Chicken and the egg type question. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and I think that we have to kind of define it, that your beliefs aren't changing, as in your your religious no. spiritual beliefs aren't changing. Your understanding of of certain things in your religion are are changing. Yes. No. Yeah. I, you know. I, and I. I very much still believe uh, in the Lord. You know. Um, I've talked about God, about the the Trinity and Christ and the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and I'm still very much, uh, still very much believe in the Trinity um, as for me as being the one true God. But I f- started to to kind of notice that there's more to it spiritually than just simply, at, at least for me. There's more to it than simply um, just kind of like hoping on a prayer, you know, uh, for lack of a better term here, because I'm somebody who, you know, being obsessive compulsive, I often need control over my own existence. Uh, so the things that I do every day, whether I'm driving or, you know, just walking on the road, flying in a plane, whatever it is, I kind of have to have control because I just, I just need it. It's something that I do on a regular basis with the OCDs. I'm, I'm compulsively trying to control the obsessions. And so I think when it comes to trying to submit to uh, stuff like, like just full prayer, I realize it's not always just prayer and that's it. There's more to it because there, there's this, um, you know, the scriptures say you need to believe in that prayer. You got to believe that you accepted that prayer and, or that you've accepted whatever it is you've asked for. And when you think of that, you, you, you start, you know, and you start learning about some of these other religions or spiritual beliefs and you start learning about uh, intentions um, and intentions is very much similar to prayer because you're just putting your intention into a prayer to God. 
very similar to what Wiccans do when they cast their spells, so putting intention into it. Uh, and I'm realizing that there's just some aspects to my faith that are no longer really making sense. But I think also that in as I'm starting to kind of learn and grow spiritually, I'm starting to connect the dots and it's actually strengthening my faith, my Christian faith, while still helping me uh, like open doors and realize there there's a much bigger connection to the spiritual realm than just, you right. know, God, you know, heaven above, hell below, and whatever happens here on earth is, you know, it's kind of has to find a balance, but. Well, oh. it's the one, one thing that I've, I've over the past couple of weeks now, you've, you've kind of mentioned it a little bit is um, in, in the Bible. Um, it talks about when, when you're praying for something specific, you have to believe it's already ham- happening. Right. And uh, something that the book, the secret teaches you, uh, which is, you know, positive manifestation is you have to believe it's already happened. So it's interesting that that because the the secret is not a religious text, but it has a connection to a religious text. Right. Yeah. And, you know, one thing is like some of the things that we that, that, that you read about in the scriptures, um, some of it is much older than the scriptures are. Like mm-hmm. the scriptures were, were created. I think they started some around 40 years after uh, Jesus's death. But there are certain systems in place uh, that you read about in the scripture that existed long before Christianity was even a thing, before it was thought of, before Christ even showed up on earth. Um, and one thing that you know I know has happened is like when Christ showed up, he used some of those past, um, I guess those, those past beliefs and kind of turned them on their head to co- not coexist, but I guess to, to help align people to the understanding of who God is. Um, you know, we talked about that, like, uh, and not just God, but like Christians in general, you know, like Christians would often do it mm-hmm. with the, the pentacle, for example, when, when trying to convert Wiccans to Christianity, they started showing all oh, the three leaf clover, represents the five with, wounds uh, and stuff. Or yeah. the, yeah, exactly. The four leaf clover or, th- you know, clover is another one. Um, and like I said, you know, right now it's just kind of like, more or less a jumbled mess. I think there's a lot of chaos <laughs> in my side of the world right now, but I think it's starting to clarify some things. Um, and I wouldn't say it's pulling me away from my, my, my original beliefs, but I think it's not only strengthening them, but I think it's also helping me get a better understanding and grasp of who I am and what my existence means uh, here on earth. And as your your cousin, your your best friend, your family, it's interesting to watch you go through all of it because I've I've been going through it for much longer than you have, and <laughs> the the past I'd say two or three years I've been going through a growth spurt, if you will, and mm-hmm. I'm still trying to understand it. Um, and a our, our friend Katie Turner has been a huge mentor for me. Um, to to understand what's what's going on because I, I'll be like, 
okay, this is what I'm feeling. Is that okay? Like, <laughs> am I going nuts or is, is it something that's actually going on? And, uh, so I, I have a, a huge respect for Katie because not only has she done a couple readings for Shelly and myself, but she's gone, she's transcended being just my psychic medium and being a friend and a mentor as well. Right. All right, folks, that is about all we've got for embrace your empathy. Um, guess what guys next week is episode 300 for paratruth radio. And we are pretty close to year eight mm-hmm. of Paratruth Radio. Yeah. Still baffles me to, to have been going this long with a show when uh, previous shows did not last as long as, as this one has for us. Yeah. Well, you know, I, th- I think a lot of trial and error. On, on our well, part. it all, yeah, it all had to shape to this one for sure. <laughs> so um, we're going to have kind of a round table going on next week. Um, we're expecting uh, Katie Turner, uh, Cat Ward, and uh, uh, Richard. Um... Oh, God. I don't want to screw this up. Roland. Uh, will be joining us, hopefully, to celebrate episode 300, do a roundtable discussion, and just have an all-around good time. Um, Yeah, so make sure you're checking out Paratruth Radio on all of the podcatchers that we're on. We're pretty much on everything. I don't think there's a podcatcher yet that we're not on. Uh, make sure you're checking out Evergreen Podcasts and KillerPodcasts.com, which is under the Evergreen umbrella, um, and Paratruth.com, uh, where you can actually leave us a voicemail or you can leave us a review. It's uh, Paratruth.com has been one of the best websites we've had because it is very uh, intuitive and and adds a lot to our show. So until next week, folks, which will be episode 300, where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. This is Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. 
On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!